0: Hello there, and welcome to Thanks for the Knowledge, the weekly Fanbyte News show highlighting the biggest stories in games and entertainment in one handy podcast. I am your host, fresh from a weird vacation, John Warren. This week, I chatted with former Fanbyte editorial intern Rin Price about game preservation, shifting critical reception of games like *Near Replicant*, and more. I hope you enjoy that conversation; it was really great. But before we get to that, we have to dissect this week's top story. Jeff Kaplan, the World of Warcraft designer and lead on all things Overwatch, is leaving Blizzard Entertainment after 19 storied years. Kaplan announced his departure in a short blog post. I'll read the whole thing. I also want to point out for the record that the only words capitalized in the following statement are the first instances of Blizzard in entertainment. Just saying. Anyway. Quote. I am leaving Blizzard Entertainment after 19 amazing years. It was truly the honor of a lifetime to have the opportunity to create worlds and heroes for such a passionate audience. I want to express my deep appreciation to everyone at Blizzard who has supported our games, our game teams, and our players. But I want to say a special thanks to the wonderful game developers that shared in a journey of creation with me. Never accept the world as it appears to be. Always dare to see it for what it could be. I hope you do the same. GG, Jeffrey Kaplan. End quote. Jeff Kaplan was hired by Blizzard in 2002 after making a name in EverQuest circles and catching the eye of guild leaders who would go on to work on World of Warcraft. Kaplan started with QA work on Warcraft 3, but then moved to the WoW team as a designer on the vanilla release, The Burning Crusade, and Wrath of the Lich King. Kaplan was then moved to the Titan team, the since-canceled MMO project said to have class-based first-person shooter mechanics. Class-based first-person shooter, huh? Weird. Anyway, after Titans cancellation, Kaplan created Overwatch with a small team from ideas and concepts created during Titans' development. Overwatch, of course, went on to become an extremely successful franchise for Blizzard, pulling in over a billion dollars in revenue in its in its first year, creating a whole new set of fans for Blizzard, carving a niche in a crowded first-person competitive shooter market, and spawning an announced sequel with PvE elements. Kaplan was the face of Overwatch for many years. If you've ever seen a development update video, you've seen Jeff address the Overwatch audience directly. Overwatch 2's development has been rocky, however, with head writer Michael Chu leaving the company last year and the game receiving fewer and fewer updates up until this year's BlizzCon line, which featured the deepest dive into the game yet. Still, the shifting culture within Blizzard seems to be leaning more and more away from creative enga- creating engaging game worlds and more toward creating massively lucrative mega franchises. So how does Jeff Kaplan's departure affect Overwatch 2? Well, Aaron Keller, another founding member of the Overwatch team, is taking Kaplan's place as lead. In his own address, Keller said the following, quote, Speaking of Overwatch 2, development is continuing at a good pace. We have an exceptional vision we're ex- executing on. The reaction from many of you to the updates we shared at BlizzConline thrilled us. We have exciting reveals planned for this year and beyond as we ramp to launch. We'll be sharing more frequent updates about Overwatch 2 progress and new game features in the live game with, all, with you all very soon. While I have no pretenses about filling Jeff's shoes, I'm excited to step into the game director role and continue to be part of a team that's pulling putting all of its heart, talent, and focus into the next iteration of Overwatch, and I'm honored to continue serving this incredible community. End quote. Keller also says that more rapid updates will be coming for both Overwatch and the upcoming Overwatch 2. The latter still does not have a release date yet. It's unclear if Jeff Kaplan is moving to another job within the games industry or if he's simply stepping away altogether. Hey, remember when Sony uh, said they were going to shut down the Vita and PS3 stores at, uh, sometime in the summer? Uh, that was a pretty bad move. It's really unpopular. Everyone was mad. And uh, they're backtracking. (laughs) They're backtracking except for the PSP store, which will still shut down. However, uh, the news this week comes from the PlayStation blog uh, from Jim Ryan, the president over at Sony Interactive Entertainment, uh, who says, upon reflection, this was a bad decision. So... Uh, here is a quote from his blog post. "Quote: When we initially came to the decision to end purchasing support for PS3 and PS Vita, it was born out of a number of factors, including commerce support challenges for older devices and the ability for us to focus more of our resources on newer devices where a majority of our gamers are playing on. We see now that many of you are incredibly passionate about being able to continue purchasing classic games on PS3 and PS Vita for the foreseeable future. So I'm glad we were able to find the solution and continue operations. Um, <laughs> this is pretty obviously uh, uh, damage control. I think Sony still wants to close these things in order to make everything a little bit more streamlined and easy, and also to control the actual commerce of the games that they're leaving behind with re-releases and all of that stuff. The most cynical read on the situation is that. The most charitable read is that this is actually a pretty big dub for everyone. Uh, who complained and shouted and uh got really sad and mad about how games preservation is uh, becoming less and less and less um, a thing. Uh, and I think PlayStation also probably looked down the barrel of maybe an increased amount of piracy and emulation coming down the pipe for those platforms and decided maybe this was the best idea to keep this stuff open. Now uh, I still think having uh, PS3 and Vita be the only places you can find these games uh, is still a little bit inaccessible, but this is at least a good step and uh, hopefully they don't try to do this stuff again. My guest this week is the 2020 Fanbyte editorial intern, a frequent collaborator, friend, uh, contributor, and beloved member of the Fanbyte community. It's
1: Renata Price. Hello, my pretty, pretty pog champs.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> how did so how was that? Because you told me you were going to start. With that,
1: it felt great. It It felt felt good, genuinely excellent. That Mm. was divine for me. That was okay. Hello, my pretty, pretty pog champs. Um, gave me gender euphoria.
0: Okay, good. (laughs) So, so we're, yeah, I mean, we're off and running. It feels like you've uh really set the tone for this conversation. (laughs) So,
1: yeah, John and I are off to the races. This is the first time John and I have talked today, and we definitely didn't talk before this <laughs> for, 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 a, a, for an a human hour, hour for a right. consecutive hour for an yeah. unrelated situation
0: right um in fact i told you we were burning pod on that <laughs> conversation a, a couple times so that's good how are you
1: i'm doing well i'm doing well
0: that's good um, how are you janet one oh boy uh good <laughs> i'm we i went on a bad vacation and now i'm back so oh what what about
1: it was i mean not to not to not to burn friends reunion for later in the week what happened it's okay
0: (laughs) yeah i know that's the it is turning into friends reunion i'll just say listen here's all i'll say and i'll save the rest of it for monday um milwaukee's mostly closed huh (laughs) that's all i'll say milwaukee's there's just like not a lot going on in milwaukee huh like the the lake is pretty, but no, it, it's John, too if cold. if
1: you put a loaded forty five caliber handgun to my head and said, uh-huh. "Where is Milwaukee? What state is it in?" I would, I would, I would be compromised to a permanent end, pretty okay, much so, immediately.
0: Okay, so okay, well, I've, I've, the cold steel of the gun is pressing against <laughs> your your head. Where is Milwaukee? Like in
1: Arkansas. No, well, you think Milwaukee's in Arkansas? Dude, I have no. no. I just told you. Mil-
0: Milwaukee is in Wisconsin. It's the largest city in Wisconsin. Okay, cool. Yeah, you think I know and that? It's, you think I know that? It's, state? And you know, it's like cheese and beer. It's close to Ohio, right? No, it's not Wisconsin. Okay- a little no, bit.
1: No, 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 it's not. No, Ohio. Okay, listen. This is something I, f- I believe very firmly. I am in the right. part of Ohio that is technically still East Coast. Oh. Okay. If you look at Ohio on a map, sorry, we have a thing to say, but I would like to just take a second. This is a quick geography lesson. If you all uh, look at a map of the continental United States and look at Ohio, okay, you'll notice that um, it is kind of just in the middle of bug fuck nowhere. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's the entire eastern part of the state is in Appalachia. Uh-huh. But I, the southern part of the state is effectively in the south, like culturally, yeah. and then the western part of the state is in uh Kentucky. Right. Or, so I, I need to, but I do
0: need to just revisit something because I did I did say a moment ago, isn't Ohio near Wisconsin and you acted like I was a moron? It's I would not. just like to point out Ren. It is three states away, and it's not even like a full drive of a state away. You would have to go, make, like, how long does it if take you to go, go through across? the ocean? If you that's go through
1: the ocean at the lake,
0: <laughs> yeah. Listen, okay. So that lake, though, that's Lake Michigan. Milwaukee is on the western side of that, so it would probably take. Okay,
1: well, look, look,
0: name a city in Ohio.
1: Cleveland.
0: Cleveland, Ohio. Okay, hold on. We're going to do a thing.
1: John's about to learn how condensed uh, the city's involved.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, you might be right. Hold on. We'll see. This is a great podcast, by the way. Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Okay, driving. Driving from Milwaukee to Cleveland takes seven hours.
1: Yeah, that's a while.
0: Okay, well, it took me 11 to go from Fayetteville to Milwaukee.
1: So it took you 11 hours to make that bad decision when it only would have taken me seven.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's about right. That's about right. You know what's terrible is that once I got the second vaccination, mm-hmm. I've I've just become one of those maniacs that's just like, open it up, open everything up. What what come on now? Like, I've just become one of those people, like immediately. Um not really, but kind of. Uh like I get it. I get it. But I am starting to, like, read those articles. It's like, what is the deal? Like, do vaccinations either work or they don't? Like, I'm starting to read those, and I'm like, yeah. Yeah, they do either work or they don't. You know, that's kind of what I've turned into.
1: John got the vaccine and it's 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 led him to three links away from being a white supremacist. That's kind of neat. That's yeah, kinda, the, that's kind of neat that they slipped the, that in there for you. The
0: the, 5, the 5G is so strong it's just giving me my cousin's Facebook likes right now. <laughs> it's it's really good. Um anyway, that none of this is important. What is important is that uh, Near Replicant just came out. And uh, that game is uh interesting. Um, and at the time of its original release a decade ago, it was uh very well, I wouldn't say very unpopular, but very mediocre. It was received uh with mixed reviews at the time, and now, uh, especially after near automata, um. Uh, near replicant is getting a, I think a much more favorable second look from a lot of reviewers and blah, 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 blah. That has started a kind of a wave of little debates about like, uh, context in which things are reviewed and time passing and, and games getting a second look. Uh, and I don't know. I just wanted to talk to you about kind of critical reception and kind of how that game specifically has been received now, uh, as opposed to how it was 10 years ago. And also, just generally, like, criticism and the state of it, you know, the state of the industry right now and, and all that stuff. So I wanted to start with, like, just asking, you know, what have you kind of taken away from how this game has been re-received over the past week or so?
1: So I saw a really a tweet thread from uh, Richmond Lee on Twitter, uh, mm-hmm. at Richmond underscore Lee, uh, about the original reception. Sorry, yeah. though it's getting kind of froggy. <clears throat> and wow. basically how the original reception is so deeply tied to the perspective of um western critics at the time in relation yes. to japanese games and how like deeply antagonistic the industry was and like i i that is when that is the era in which kind of i grow up and like right. i start experiencing games as a medium and i very distinctly remember the like Japanese games are so weird discourse of the like 2010 of like the early Uh 2010s like that is the basically like the mainline narrative around a body of work that is so large that actually trying to talk about it as a genre is kind of useless um and it's a good thread that kind of points out the like With specific citations, the way that the game's critical reception is deeply influenced by um, the perspective of, like, the Japanese games, like, industry at the time. Uh, And it sucks. Uh, And that is, like, my, like, first first blush near take is that I think the games press culturally was not ready... To actually critically engage with the work and uh, the way that it needed to, sure, uh, and that is uh, a failing.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I failing is uh, a really interesting word because I think I, I don't mournfully look at at that so much. I, I look at it more of a. It's anthropology, right? It's it's mm-hmm. like a it's like a footnote of of how this industry has evolved, and I'm not saying like it's necessarily a good thing, but I'm also saying, you know, I don't necessarily know if it invalidates the entire kind of critical uh, the critical life of this piece of art now spans over a decade, and mm-hmm. I think like those takes, even if like we can look at them and see them as at at best misguided and dismissive and at worst like racist Mm -hmm. um like i think we can look at those and learn a lot about how our attitudes about a lot of things have changed and so i don't really look at the this like i know some people have kind of looked at it mournfully or like with with some amount of disdain. And I think like disdain for the individual takes, like especially like one mm-hmm. tweet that I saw going around from a decade ago that was just a super racist thing to say from a from a a reviewer about exactly what you were just saying, like how weird Japanese games are or whatever. Um like obviously I, I look at that and I'm I'm embarrassed and sad that that was kind of like the status quo of the time. But it's also it's, it's not valueless to me to see the shift, right?
1: Right. I think, I think that it is anthropologically useful uh, right. and interesting to see. And, and you can chart the critical trajectory of the last few years. I think the only thing that I would say is, the only reason that I think part of me sees it as a failing is that I see it as a lot of these takes as representative of issues around craft, Right. and 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 criticism both criticism writing and culture as a craft um mm. so i think that a lot of these takes emerge from the deeply insular nature of the games press especially around that time um yeah where and by what i mean by that is um Are you familiar with the 10,000 hours thing? Yeah, yeah. Right. I have a lot of problems with the 10,000, or I have a lot of thoughts about the 10,000 hours things, right? To be an expert on something, you have to do it for 10,000 hours. Sure. The more interesting version of that advice is, um, or the the actual part that people don't say is, you don't have to spend 10,000 hours doing the exact thing, but engaging Mm. with things around it. Sure. So, to be a good critic, right... You engage with work yeah. for 10,000 hours, right before I started games writing, I played games voraciously, I listened to podcasts, I read crit I, I read crit all the time, right? I didn't write anything, but the process of engaging with the work itself develops a critical toolkit, right? Yeah, and that toolkit is then what you apply as a critic to the every single work that you engage with, right? So mm-hmm. even if you aren't writing, you're developing something right.
0: Yeah.
1: That's one part of it. But the other part of it is the 10,000 hours thing is that there is also an aspect of self-reflection and and critical self-reflection. That is how you actually develop a skill, right? You don't ever get good at anything without developing a skill. And I think that the interesting thing, looking at that period of the industry, and this isn't about individuals, right? If we take the body of criticism and the the industry as a a singular body for a second, that period to me is an industry that is only looking at itself. Yeah. And isn't doing a critical self-reflective process yet. Right. And and in that to me is the failing because it's not developing the craft of criticism. Uh, That is like, not an individual thing, but the industry was still. It was not,
0: it was not clamoring for any sort of real change. It was not,
1: not, it was not clamoring for real change. And also this part of this is, um, the product of material conditions, right? right? If you have to play through from beginning to end an 80 hour video game in two weeks to review it, (laughs) how much time do you actually have to engage with it critically? Right. Outside of the text. And to right. think about how it exists in context with other games, in context with other art, right? Like part of my whole thing recently, for in my own personal life, is whenever I've been Doom scrolling, I close it and I go and watch a movie. Like I just right. close my phone. If I notice myself on my phone for like twenty minutes, close it. I go and I just like load up a random thing on the Criterion Collection because it. Is something that actually, even if it's, you know, not for work and it's, it's building a critical toolkit, right? I'm engaging with art and that is so much better and is, allows me to approach art in a, in a much fuller way. And I don't think that the industry at that point in time was doing enough of that work to, you know, earn the the, the critical marker, I guess.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I do I do remember that time and there were you know four or five critics I thought did individually, you know, engage with with these with these works in a way that uh was relevant to me. One of them was which is now our EIC Daniel Riondo who like around that time was one of the only critics really doing some of that stuff. Uh even as she shared space with some folks that like her actually being kind of targeted right now is not having particularly uh, helpful or charitable reviews of near at the time. But, uh, but yeah, like I, I think, I think the way we have, it's really interesting. I, I still feel like we've taken maybe not steps back, but steps sideways, you know, in terms of like how we, critically engage with games. Like I feel like obviously there's still very much a feeling of um, like that very, very shitty uh, like surface level games are art. Fuck you. Roger Ebert kind of feeling that was also happening at around the same time.
1: Yeah. Which, I'm, like, I'm thinking about that specifically with Bioshock infinite because this sure. is because, because near is contemporary. Yeah. With Bioshock right. infinite and sure. looking at the response to those two games. Tells you really, a lot. Really, really interesting. Yeah. Because I mean, the distillation of the Bioshock Infinite thing is, is, you know, people saying this is the Citizen Kane of it's, it's the it's the people say this is the Citizen Kane of video game, despite having never seen Citizen Kane, and I haven't seen <laughs> Citizen Kane, so I don't get to talk shit about that. But I think that there is that is the most indicative thing of the period to me is this right. idea of like making comparisons to other artistic mediums that mm, there is yeah. a limited actual familiarity with right there are yeah. a lot of people who like looked at the prestige of film and actually no, don't know how to engage with film trying yeah. to talk about games as film and it's like i that is the stuff that is frustrating to me which i think is different yeah. from the early Instances of new games criticism, uh, yeah. which I think is, you know, Danielle kind of is a is a early precursor to the like later movements. Yes,
0: right, yeah, for sure. Um, I it's just been interesting. I mean, like, I, I think I I wonder if we're going to see reissues of other games that, um, you know, also kind of have this have this going for it. But like, I don't know. It's just it's been interesting. I think like. I I I kind of winced at a few takes about like, you know, feeling so I don't know. I, I don't know how to explain it. It's like I, I think seeing these dismissive reviews from ten years ago and then dismissing them entirely now and saying like, well now we're right and then we were wrong maybe less of the point than I think it is. Like, I think it's really just uh, an indication that like more and more and more people are engaging with games in, in a critical way, which is like a good thing because at some points I, I over the past, even you a know, couple of years, like recently I've kind of wondered aloud, like, are we actually engaging with this shit? Like, are we, this feels like we're not a, a lot at the time, at least with bad Twitter conversations, which by the way, Speaking of which, Twitter bums me out more than I think it ever
1: has. Fuck Twitter. That's why that's why that's why I'm not using I will use my private Twitter a little bit and yeah. I'll have like a shit post every couple days. That's my yeah. new that's my new shit.
0: I was talking to Nikki, uh brand editor plus about this. And it's just like I uh, you know, he knows some people that say they open their social media stuff and it like makes them happy and I'm like, wow, can you fucking imagine who the,
1: that? Who the who the, who the f- yeah. John, who the fuck is doing that? I,
0: I can't name drop, but it's like, I who the, I'm who like, the,
1: who the fuck is it? I don't know. I no, don't know. but it's like, it, I it's can't, insane.
0: but it's like, it, it's, it, you know, whoever it is has curated their experience uh, in a way that makes, makes them happy, which <laughs> I can't, I I can't fathom. I haven't done it. I maybe I should spend the time to do it, but it certainly isn't working right now for me. Um, yeah. Every time app- I open it. It's a bad app.
1: Can I uh, jump back to something you said a second ago?
0: Yeah, I would love to. I would love for you to, yes.
1: Uh, you were talking about reissues of games and, like, right. the, <clears throat> the re- a return to—a critical return to older works. Yes. I think that I am less interested in reissues mm. and— more interested specifically in stuff like the because I think in in mainstream publications we don't get this much, uh, but in the video essay space and in the independent critique space of actual reappraisals of original works, yeah, um, which is going to get harder with the issues harder. around archival uh, yeah. archival efforts. Um, the recent the recent dub around the PS3 and PS Vita stores being kept online um, is that's a big deal. It's great, uh, but I think that. The only reason that I have a critical toolkit at all is because when I was a kid, there was, like, a local video rental store, and I went in and basically, like, would play something new, like, every couple days. Like, I I couldn't afford games, but my grandmother could, like, afford rentals, and so I would, like, basically... Played through, like, several hundred PS2 and Xbox 360 games and, like, didn't finish any of them, but was exposed to a ridiculous amount of, like, stuff. And right. now I look back on that period and I'm just, like, so curious as to what's there. Right. right. What what did we miss during the PS2 generation? And I think that... Sure. I think that the only way that I see that as I see the past as like a quote unquote failing is my worry as to what we've already lost, mm. right? What interesting work didn't get highlighted because the critical culture I don't want to say wasn't ready for it. the critical culture wasn't right for it mm. um because I think that part of the things we think about around. What does it mean for a piece of art to be ahead of its time? Right, like like if yeah. in that take where it's like, okay, it was failed several years ago. We were wrong several years ago. Right. Right. Art gets reevaluated all the time. Right. And social context changes. Yes. And I think it is worth looking into the ways in which critical culture is itself a culture within which art exists because it's really easy to go yes there is the er culture of you know quote unquote the US right let's just take the US for example right a piece of art releases in the US and you approach it with the context of someone from the US right Right. at that same time games culture itself right it wasn't just that critics were doing this it's that critique creates culture and, um, I have like this triangle I use. Critique creates culture, creates content, creates critique, right? It is It is a cycle between critique, culture and content. Yeah. And um, games culture at the time was pushing critique in certain directions. And I think that it would be I would be more interested in saying that Western games, or like u s games culture specifically, Anglophone games culture specifically. Um, was ill prepared for certain works, and I think mm. I think that is not inaccurate to say. Yeah, um, and that the reappraisal of them is important. I'm specifically interested in like the uh, Shimakami Tensei Nocturne. Sure. Um, right. Uh, re-release upcoming re-release because like i'm really fascinated by that game but like i started playing digital devil saga a few months ago that game's wild it it rules it's so interesting and like the frustrating thing is if you go back to the era you aren't going to find much that isn't scattered throughout forum posts right and if we want games criticism to develop re-engaging with those older works is a necessary part. Yeah, um, And like, both as an archival process, but also in terms of like, there are ideas that you leave behind and I want to find them again.
0: Right, sure. What
1: cool shit, like the PS2, right, had things about it and a games produced within it that if you're only ever playing what just came out, you'll never have access to certain design ethoses that are Mm -hmm. just radically different and weird and interesting. Right. The focus is usually on arcade cabinets. Yeah. Arcade cabinet games are designed to be hard because they're designed, you know, by their nature are designed to get you to put coins in the machine. Right. Yes. And that's like the key examples, like, Oh, the shift from console, you know, from the arcade to the console is a big shift in terms of how games are designed and the design ethos around them. Right. And I think a lot of the time the conversation stops there and then we don't then go with each generation and each platform what does this do right Mm -hmm. how does how does this specific new iteration of the technology and culture shift design ethoses and i really worry about that playstation 2 generation in particular yeah um because that's the stuff that like i was half raised on um I don't know, I was behind because all I had was a PS2 and that's what I rented games for with my grandma, right? Yeah. I was a couple years behind, but that couple years behindness led to me being exposed to radically different works that like have deeply influenced my like critical brain. Like Mm -hmm. No, go ahead. No, please.
0: Well, I mean, do you think remasters actually muddy and cloud that conversation?
1: I think that remasters a lot of the time are deeply unnecessary. Well, sure. Um, I mean,
0: no argument here, but why, especially uh, especially through this lens.
1: Because one, the original context of like a system can be important, right? I think that's right. true. Sure. But also, the, the economics of remasters are antithetical to good archival work. To some degree, uh, Mm -hmm. because I think that because not everything gets a remaster. Right. Is 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 the essential thing. Uh, Not every game from the PS2 era gets a remaster. Not even every good game from the PS2 era gets a remaster. Right. But. If that hardware still works or is still in circulation or those discs are still in circulation or emulation is available, you can preserve those things. Right my right. archival can still happen. And- I got deep.
0: I got deeply sad the other day because someone posted a GIF of uh vagrant story. Yes. Mm-hmm. One era RPG. And I, I realized that, and this is a real fucking form medium is the message ass kind of thing to say, but it's like, am I playing vagrant story? If I'm not playing it on a CRT TV like mm-hmm. on its original disc and and all that stuff. Because if square decides to remaster that and change a bunch of it, and make it widescreen and add some different textures and smooth a bunch of shit out that gif that I saw doesn't exist. Like that's not, that's not how I'm seeing this. I'm seeing kind of a different thing with a slightly different intent and a slightly different form. And that, um, it doesn't it doesn't read the same to me, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason I got that seeing that hit me the most a game that like I've played once and I love and I deeply appreciate, but it's like I've played a lot of other games a lot more, and i I have some feelings about that stuff, but like for whatever reason these these games that especially push the envelope at their time to do something that I can now recognize as being way ahead of its time or Maybe in the same vein, but like way more resource, uh, intelligent than I really knew before. Mm-hmm. I really knew how game development works, and and now it's kind of like, okay, well, the only real hope for getting this feeling back is if they, if I if I go get a disc and a CRT TV and play it on a PlayStation One with the little with the little disc sounds whirring in the background.
1: Well, I mean, um, the other thing is that. Let's 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 look at a, a a contemporary or something comparable, right? Sure. Uh, film remasters, remastered yeah. editions, or restored editions of films, right? Right. The interesting thing about those is that they are, or what happens when you restore a painting, mm. right? Art right. restoration is process, right.
0: right? Right. Um, yeah. When I found out what art restoration was, I was like. That, that that's not how I would describe that.
1: <laughs> right, right. We are not looking at art restoration. No, you're not. A really phenomenal um, Jacob Geller video essay uh,
0: yeah.
1: about the largest RE4 mod ever attempted. Mm. Uh, that is the closest thing you could have to video game art restoration because what it's yeah. doing is the artist in that um, in that uh, project hunted down the original references upon which the textures were based. Wow. Like, went and found the specific part of a specific cathedral upon Mm. which a texture is obviously based. Right. And took high-res photos of that, and then touched them up to make them fit with the overall aesthetic of the game, and then imported those in. Right. The literal reference photos. Yeah. And that is game's remaster as art restoration. Right. Right. As the tech wasn't enough at the time. Right. And I think that the complicated thing with remasters is remasters are not restorations. No. They are not returning lost. It's not like you found a bunch of film and you're like, oh my God, we found the unblemished (laughs) cut of this film. Right. Because they're, you know, part of the issue with digital film is that digital stuff degrades over time. As, as, does, as does actual literal film, of course. But without that original, there's a lot of stuff that is hard to... If you record something, if all you have is a camera that records in 4DP, right? That's, right. The, only, that's the only quality of that file you have. And there's no original set of film strip. You can't restore it. Unless, you know, yeah. we make AI to do that. But, like, that's a whole right. other can of worms. That's a whole other thing.
0: I um, mean, ga- game remasters are really just like taking a, a a beloved family photo and slapping a Snapchat filter on it. And, like, <laughs> it's, and it's like, like I don't know, P pop doesn't have deer antlers and little butterflies around his head and stuff like I, I, but that's how, but that's how I look at game remasters. Mm -hmm. Game remasters are a thing, by the way, that I didn't actually used to feel that weird about. I I thought, I I thought it was a, a cool new frontier of game stuff. Like, Oh, we can reintroduce games to, to a new audience. But what I'm realizing is that like, it is the, it is the short way It is the short and wrong way to do that. Right. If you really want right. to do that, you could spend the money as a company like Sony or whatever to really do archival processes and make the stuff, like, available. It is not I, – listen, I, I capitalism fucking sucks, but, like, that does not at its face seem like a solvent thing to do. Like, I get it. But at the same time, the charm of a remaster is, is almost totally lost on me at this point because I'm – Mourning, I am mourning the fact that like folks are not actually able to see these things and experience these things the way they were originally originally meant to be because to be seen.
1: because the remaster supplants the original work yes, and that's no. and that's the difference is right. that the remaster basically is is used as a um, substitute.
0: It's the new and definitive version when in fact. I would almost never describe it that way.
1: And I'm thinking now, specifically about something like the uh, the upcoming Mass Effect collection.
0: Yeah, the Legendary Edition, sure.
1: The Legendary Edition is really interesting to think about because it suggests to us that the Mass Effect games aren't actually games on their own, but are designed to be a collected text. right? Yes. And part of the interesting thing about uh, games restoration and games remastering... Uh, is around series where your choices transfer over. That is really interesting to me because the barriers to archival access with those are much larger and stranger. Because again, Mm -hmm. you're looking at a series where your decisions carry over from text to text. That is an essential part of the process. So... You can't just own each one on a different system. They have to all be in the same place. Yeah. For the text to function as intended. Yes. And that is interesting to me. Yeah. I, same. I, so a remaster then, in that case, when they're bundled as one. <laughs> transforms them from individual works with this connected aspect to a singular work to create it over time.
0: To me, the legendary edition. And I'm sure some of my mass effect biases are showing here a little bit, but it's like, there is something about that because it is transformative in that nature and actually changes fundamental aspects of the gameplay of the first one, especially to conform with the two games subsequent that were traditionally mostly regarded as being improvements. Although I disagree. I think the first one's the best one, but I, I, I see it as a transformative work. And I think like that you're so right about like, I kind of forgotten about the anxiety of, once this game once the series started to be ported to other places besides Xbox 360 of the the anxiety of knowing that s- someone may pick up mass effect 1 On uh, Xbox 360 and then years later go, oh, I never played two and three. I'm going to play them on PC and not have the same Shepard and the same choices and all that stuff. And I got fucking anxious about that. (laughs) And it's like, but that's really powerful, right? Like the the intent of that series is to be played as one whole work. And now it's being packaged as such, which feels right to me.
1: Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And again, this is what we're, we were kind of talking about earlier with context, right? right? What is the, not to get into like genre theory, oh. <laughs> but there are ideas around the social motivation and social situation from which a text emerges right. and how that's what genre really is, right? That is sure. an essential part of genre that we often forget about is this idea that Things emerge from a social motive. So, you right. know, what separates a myth from a fantasy novel? Right? Let's right. take, they can have the exact same story structure, exact same characters in the exact same situation. One of them is a myth, the other is fantasy. What's the difference? What's the difference? And the difference is you can have all the same structures. You can have your hero's journey, you can have your gods, you can have your goddesses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the intended social function of the work is different. The myth is designed to, either allegorically or literally, explain the world as it exists, to give context and meaning to a world you exist within. Again, sometimes it's allegorical, sometimes it's literal. If it's, you know, an actual faith tradition, it's literal, or even in some faith traditions, everyone agrees, yes, these are all allegories, right? These are stories about the world that explain how the world functions, right? This character stands for this thing. Yes, Fantasy doesn't do this. Speculative fiction doesn't do this. Its goal is to imagine a different world. And so when you're looking at the Mass Effect series, right, when you're looking at the act of art restoration, (laughs) and you have to look at what the exigence or social motive is. And I think that the exigence and social motive of the Mass Effect series is different from its contemporaries because that is a game that is trying to draw a line across three different video games. which means that it exists in an odd way across all of those social contexts at once. Yeah. Instead of having the Mass Effect series, you have to call it the Mass, and you can do this with Dragon Age as well, the Mass Effect and Dragon Age series have to be treated as contemporaneous with each other and very little else. Each individual game can be, you know, a contemporary of, you know, other stuff. But the series isn't. Right. And so it becomes the question of are you trying to read the text individual, the individual game or are you trying to read the series?
0: Mm. Yeah. And and, s- and 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 so the legendary edition kind of answers that question.
1: Right. And the legendary edition says this is the intended way to approach this work, right? This is yeah, the this intent is and this is yeah. the social context we want you to approach this with.
0: Even mechanically because they they announced recently that, you know, the controversial like multiplayer stuff that had to be done in order to get the best ending of, of mass effect three. Now it's, it's connected to how much of mass effect one and two have you played. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: so now mechanically it's telling you the way to get to the best place in this narrative is to experience it as one. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm like, I was actually kind of shocked that they, they attached mechanics to it because there is such an implicit and and it's obvious to me, but it is implicit kind of take this as one text, like you said, but now it's kind of mechanically all there's this through line through the entire thing obviously the the choices and the aesthetics of Shepard himself have also done that, but now it's this very much like systemic internal tracker of how much you've played of the entire series, which kind of uh you know goes into how quote good are you. At being prepared for the final battle, which I think is like, I don't know, pretty fascinating.
1: You know, I'd like to, I'd like to actually take back something I said earlier. Sure. About, um, games about, being uh, about,
0: unique. about Jen Edwin. You'd like to take back <laughs> what <No>. you said.
1: <laughs> no, 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 I'd like to, I'd like to set that one in stone. I'm going to carve that okay. one onto your gravestone. Okay. Uh, sure. Um, no, 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 no. I think that I take back what I said about games being unique in this regard. Okay the director's cut of Blade Runner has completely supplanted the theatrical cut of that original, of that film. Yes. The theatrical cut of Blade Runner has a different ending.
0: It does. I mean, it is it and, is and, and, it is in, does incorrect. not exist right. in the cultural
1: right. and critical consciousness in the way that the Blade Runner director's cut does.
0: Yeah, that's true. And the way that it's actual sequel uh, Mm -hmm. tied into the series. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: That is fascinating to me. Yeah, sure. That is an instance of outside of games, us seeing how this can happen. And with Blade Runner, IMO, it's a dub. Right this is this is a It's win. a dub
0: for that. Yeah. yeah. I mean for for fucking uh the recuts of Star Wars where Jabba is a big worm crawling around in sand um
1: that's a, remas- you know, that's a remaster. That's a
0: remaster. That's a
1: remaster. That's
0: right. a remaster. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's a remaster and not a, remaster. a restoration.
0: Correct. Yeah.
1: Um but And you're like right.
0: yeah, <sighs> Blade, the Blade Runner example is good.
1: Blade Runner example is good. I think the Star Wars example is good. Um, we have seen this before. Yeah, we have. Yeah. Uh, and I don't want to make it seem like this is unique to games, but I think the way it manifests is different because the, well, and there's a cottage,
0: there's a cottage industry for it in games, which like I don't know if it's that widespread yet for film.
1: Also, know. film had a, had had effectively established the way that movies worked before right. people started doing that
0: yeah yeah that's true
1: yeah and and that is very interesting, because we are looking at the remaster be integrated into what video games are and what the industry is in a way that is not the same for multiple versions of the same film, right? The director's cut as an idea mm. does not exist for the first seventy years of film history. Sure. And then emerges and then affects it, but isn't fundamental. in yeah. the game space, we are seeing the remaster and the re-release as yes. fundamental to the um, actual industry and the way we look at and understand the legacy of a text. Mm. Um, I think I think Nero is a really interesting example of this. Um, yeah, I I think that. In my heart of hearts, I know this to be true. I think I'm gonna to have to go play the original, and then also the really. why well, yeah, I... Why
0: stop there? Why not play the Dragon Guard trilogy?
1: No, John, you're saying this to me like I'm not a pervert.
0: Like I'm I know not, like, I'm I don't saying, have a deep disease
1: in in, th- in the depths of my brain. I think
0: uh, Chris Plant over at Polygon posted a, a very funny piece this morning. Where he was just like, "Where should you start?". You know, should you start with with uh, with a or a Replicant, and then at the end it's like, are you actually a pervert or whatever? It's like play Dragon Card trilogy, and it's like, yeah, if you want to get the whole idea, is you your to get the brain whole story.
1: completely melted? Yeah, I mean, listen, I I don't know, and I, and I am someone for whom playing older stuff is important to me, and yeah. like un, and like and consistently. Like here, I can let me pull, let me pull out my Steam real quick and, and give y'all a quick taste at what I've recently installed and played. Oh god. One computer. QBert fuck.
0: <laughs> Just kidding.
1: Stupid. Dumb as hell. I <laughs> can,
0: can I find Qbert on Steam? Gabe, let me play Qbert on Steam.
1: Okay. That I installed recently. Okay. Uh, the 2007 first-person shooter Stalker Shadow of, Shadow of Chernobyl.
0: Timeless, timeless classic.
1: Um, not uh, Dishonored too. That one, sounds one's pretty recent.
0: It's pretty recent, but I, but, but, okay, okay. Here's here's a fucking galaxy brain thing. I'm gonna say Dishonored could have come out 20 years ago. To me. Like I, there, there is such a timelessness to Dishonored. Dishonored whips. And, Dishonored whips, and and it and it was that way. The instant I played it, I was <laughs> like, I will, I could pop this in. I saw my future self, thirty five years after Dishonored came out, going, I could play Dishonored in thirty five years.
1: Yeah, like uh, that's <laughs> what you stopped me before the insane one. What Which is I divine cybermancy? Oh Oh are you, are you familiar with I Divine Cybermancy? No. Oh, oh John. Oh John. Oh yes. Oh wonderful. Oh, this is a gift you've given me. Um You game Brozov. Um I Divine Cybermancy is I'm a- looking at this now. Is a, is a, okay, is a Eurojank first-person shooter released in the year 2011.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: Uh, it is a Eurojank cyberpunk first-person shooter. I see that. Uh, that takes place in a weird techno-cult future. Uh-huh. Yeah, what's up, John? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it's good. Um... You're part of uh, the secreta secretorum.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Cool. I mean, this looks fine to it's, me. It's
1: it's why It is a it is it is one of the most wild things I've ever played. It's it's really I mean, it's fascinating good. and cool. But I think yeah. that I you know I was talking about you know playing um what's it called uh digital devil saga recently yeah so yeah, yeah. like i think that this is in my in my ideal world because i'm a dumbass uh we as a as a space would i don't know i'm an english major as an english major you have to (laughs) yeah i know part of getting your phd in english is gonna sound so stupid i'm sorry Requires, they're basically texts that are like considered like required read. Like you don't have to know them encyclopedically, right? But if someone references it, you can, you have to be like, yeah, okay. And that, that means that you skim a lot of stuff, right? But I wish that we made that a central aspect of games culture. Like that Mm. is, that is my ideal world is one where we are all actively thinking about criticism and like thinking about legacy in this way um i don't know i don't know i just get like i just get bummed when uh i think about all the stuff that we lose all the time
0: we lose a lot every day we lose more
1: are you worried about welcome, like
0: welcome to fanby.com every day we lose more
1: welcome to fanby.com the industry is, is dying every day we lose more oh god the library of alexandria is burning every day um uh, i don't know i don't know i think about this that's, shit a lot uh games should be in libraries good. uh if you you should go here's my here's my takeaway for this episode um yes. go to your local library and see that they have video games there uh and if they don't uh ask them why and try and see if you can get games in your library uh, i like really good advice it's really Um, good advice because i mean it's a good investment for libraries so like it's not a hard pitch to make right uh to be like listen these are like not expensive if you buy them used can right, you just, right. like, buy a couple of consoles and a couple of games and get that shit in your library? <laughs> Here's because... my GameStop
0: card, power to the players, go down to the fucking bin and, and go crazy.
1: Can yeah, because, like, I don't know. That's especially—my my main worries about archival stuff and yeah. archival stuff and remasters is, is we're seeing the price of games go up. And yes. who gets access to games has always been a political question. Yeah. And has always been a class question, and I think yes. that if we, the only way we can do real archival work and and maintain the history of this space, is by making sure that everyone has access to this history. Because yeah. um, like emulation is real and good and easy, yes, but it is there are tech barriers to it, right? Like yes, if sir. You, like. I, I don't want like, you know, um, I don't want like a 15 or like a 13 year old poor kid who just wants to play some video games have to learn how to use how, how to use a fucking emulator. Yeah. Like yeah. just go to the library.
0: Right. Right,
1: like that's like there's the the tech requirement. No one needs to horror. know
0: how to. No one needs to know how to use Mednafen or whatever. Like yeah, like I no, like, have no one needs to learn. I should I'm have to sorry. load I and i's into
1: my fucking computer. like. Yeah, what yeah, are you yeah. talking about?
0: No one, no one needs a BIOS ripper. Like it. Let's let's be honest about this. Like it's it is not easy to emulate games past a certain point. No, like, some emulators make it easy, but 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 most of them don't. So yeah, I mean these are still barriers, and I think as long as there are barriers then then we're not really we're not actually actively archiving anything
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is why libraries are important but also i mean if you know how to if you
0: I think you should still pirate
1: shit. I don't work at fan, but I'm allowed to say this. Um, I don't, uh, you can pirate shit. Like, just do it. Like if you cave, you can't like, don't feel bad. It's fine. Archival. Like you're doing, you're t- keeping up like ROMs and shit. You're actively helping the future of the industry. Like you are actively, I mean, you're actively preserving history.
0: I mean publishers just hold your ears for a second, but it, like been, I feel absolutely no sense of shame or reluctance saying this even in an official capacity. If publishers make shit unavailable, pirate it. Yeah, like i I, I don't I don't know how to like be more plain about it. but it's like you all set yourself up for that. and, and I have absolutely no sympathy for this. And even, even so, and, and there, here's the complicated part. I'm happy that the Vita and PS3 stuff got, got saved. Mm. I I still don't know. Like that still seems like a barrier to me, it is, especially it is. for a huge barrier, especially for folks that maybe came up, you know, playing games only in the past couple of years. Like it's not mm. finding a fucking Vita and a PS3 and all that shit. Like that's, that's, those are barriers. And so, you know, I,
1: I would also it's, say it's
0: utopian it's utopian and it's too easy to just say this, but it's like invest in archival or expect just a lot more of, of just like, you know, uh, piracy and folks trying to make emulation easier. And I think like, and I think that's okay until archival is really an investment.
1: I would also note that unavailable and inaccessible are two different things. Are, are sure. two different things. And I would say that inaccessibility, if you, if you, if a game is inaccessible, pirate it. Um, even if it's available, right? If you, if you, if it costs $150 to buy a copy of whatever video game you're looking at, that's not, that that is not effectively available.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, That's
1: inaccessible. So like, (sighs) yeah, piracy is good. Do more of it. Um, get shit in libraries. Um, go to your library. Also, also just like, I don't know be willing to like engage with art that you don't like all the way. Yeah. And like, and like give it time because like, I don't know my new, like I said, and I did this for games as a kid, right? When I was a kid, my grandma would rent a bunch of shit and I would go and I would play it. And like, most of it was like bad, but from every game I played, I learned to like something about it. And that's why I am a critic is because I learned how to read games and understand what I liked about them really fast. Cause like I didn't have the luxury of not liking stuff because like shit's right. expensive. And so yeah. I like felt bad for not liking things. So I would like learn yeah. to like find interesting things about everything I played. That makes um, sense. So, so just like put on a f- like go, go to a thing where movies are and just put on the first interesting thing you see and don't close it until it's over. Like it's yeah. like, that's only, like, an hour and a half, two hours of your time. You will yeah. you will find a bunch of really cool and important shit for you that way. And also, like, you will get better at understanding art. You will yeah. get, like, so much better so much faster. You will. Um, John, do you have any uh, art you would like to rec- recommend to the people? Any cool oh. shit that you've seen recently?
0: Uh, I mean... Yeah, I mean the most actual literal art I can uh recommend, the Milwaukee Art Museum is really nice, actually, I what's, would say.
1: What's a game you think someone should go and pirate right now if they haven't played it? Um
0: I don't know. Whatever I found at the Milwaukee Art Museum. I'm just kidding. Uh I think if you I think a game that you should find you should pirate right now is Mischief Makers. For the Nintendo 64. That's what I think. You can't find it anywhere right now, so you should go. You should go play that. Shake, shake. <laughs> what about you, Ren? What's um, yours?
1: I would say, hmm, what's what's a what's a good video game that I think people should just go fucking? Um, Digital Devil Saga is a pretty good one to me. It's a pretty like, good that's one. A, that's a fun answer. I think that. Um,
0: I own a physical copy of that that I put into my launch PS3 when I what's, want to play it.
1: What's a, what's a weird one? What's a weird one I can do? That's
0: a pretty weird one. Oh, I mean, man. Digital Devil Abazaga is pretty weird.
1: Shit that like stained my brain. <laughs> go, go, go fucking play Too Human. <laughs> All right. <laughs> go play Too Human. Go see what was up with that. I, think, I, think-, re- I,
0: I think that's going to be a wrap. You recommending Too Human. <laughs> I think that's a good place to leave it.
1: Listen, I was just like, I don't know. I have weird memories of that video. I don't know what it, I don't know what's in there. Listen, there's so when
0: many... When someone, when someone does a $50,000, a 50,000 word deep dive onto human, I'm fucking there. I I, I really want to know everything <laughs> there is to know about that.
1: Yeah. Fuck it. Listen, the Xbox 360, PS2, Xbox 360, PS2 transitional era was wild, wild. y'all. Yeah. There is some, there is some incredible shit in there that you have yep. never heard of. Yeah. Go go play Two Human for some reason. Um, go play
0: Two Human. You heard it here first. Go play folks. the Last
1: Remnant. That's a weird JRPG. That's a weird last ass Remnant's RPG. Weird to, that but rules. you can find that
0: you can find that on PC pretty
1: easily. That is on I'll PC pretty that. easily, and the port is yeah. the port is pretty good. The port um, is pretty good. Paul oh, says uh, Def Paul. Jam Vendetta Two: Fight for New York is Paul's pick uh, for something. Absolutely, you should go pirate immediately.
0: Absolutely a great choice. It's a it's a wonderful choice.
1: It's the last. Uh, it's the
0: last. I think it's really the last game to use the uh, AKI uh, wrestling engine created in uh, the mid-90s, which is probably the best wrestling engine ever made. So, you
1: think, about check that out. <laughs> think about
0: Think about art, folks. Uh, Ren, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Hey, let's do a little bit of a roundup, shall we? Amazon's uh, Games Legacy is continuing to take a few hits uh, with their cancellation of the Lord of the Rings MMORPG game, which has been in development for quite a long time. It was announced in 2019, but a news report from Bloomberg uh, has said that Layu Technologies Holding, a Chinese-based video game holding company that was purchased by Tencent in December, is uh, the cause for this rift and the cancellation of the Lord of the Rings MMO. Uh, we do not know a lot of the contract negotiation disputes between Amazon and our parent company, Tencent. To be, again, yes, FanBite is owned by Tencent, in case you didn't know. We do not know the details, but the game was being developed by Athlon Games and it was supposed to be a free to play game for PC and consoles. Uh, Amazon spokesperson uh, was quoted as saying, we have been unable to secure terms to proceed with the title at this time. And they are, quote, disappointed that we won't be bringing this game to customers. Um, Amazon has had some success launching games online on The Amazon Apps for specifically, but almost all of their forays into console gaming and PC gaming have been pretty spectacular failures. Um, Crucible is the most recent one uh, with a June 2020 release and delisting uh, of Crucible, the uh, hero shooter that uh, Amazon Studios tried to release. Uh, the New World is an open world MMO game for PC. It was scheduled to come out this year and has been delayed uh, last year and has been delayed into September. Sometime this year, though, no release date has been released for that yet. Um, A lot of Lord of the Rings games have been kind of a mixed bag. Uh, uh, Lord of the Rings Golem is uh, an upcoming game that was first announced in 2019. Uh, Obviously, there are other games in the series, other uh, RPGs, and obviously the Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War games. Uh, were fairly successful, but this is just the latest in a string of both Lord of the Rings difficulties and Amazon difficulties. Uh, Hopefully Amazon's uh, super expensive television show centered around Lord of the Rings has less trouble getting off the ground. A new update for the Xbox series S and X uh, will boost frame rates to make a lot of older games run a lot smoother. I won't read the entire exhaustive list, but games like Battlefield 4, 5, uh, Star Wars Battlefront 1 and 2, Titanfall, Titanfall 2, uh, those will be able to run at 120 frames per second on the Xbox Series X, uh, and, and many of those will also be able to run at that speed on Xbox Series S, although there are some exceptions. Um, games like uh, Dishonored, uh, Fallout 4, Skyrim, uh, Far Cry 4, uh, those will all be able to run at 60 frames per second uh, with this boost capability. Um, you can find the entire list of those games over at fanby.com. We have a handy dandy table there. Uh, almost every game that is in this list is available on Xbox Game Pass Ultimate slash EA Play. You have to have the EA Play one to get a lot of those uh, Battlefield and Plants vs. Zombies and Star Wars Battlefront games. Uh, but yeah, like, except for for Far Cry 4, UFC 4, and Watch Dogs 2, all these games are in Game Pass Ultimate and they're getting a frame rate boost, which is pretty cool. In the not-so-distant past, if you wanted to play a free-to-play multiplayer game on Xbox systems, you would actually have to you know, have a paid subscription to play a free-to-play game. Well, now that's not true. Uh, Xbox Network is finally not requiring a paid subscription to play uh 50 around 50 games on the Xbox platform. Uh, that will now be totally free to play instead of uh, hey, f- you should download this, and then if you want to actually play it, you gotta pay for our network fees. Uh, some of the games that are are included in these uh, in this are Call of Duty Warfare. Uh, sorry, Call of Duty Warzone. That's a really big one. Uh, Apex Legends, another really huge one. Uh, Daunt Darwin Project, uh, Hawken, uh, Paladins, Path of Exile, that's a big one, Fantasy uh, Star Online 2, uh, Roblox, which is a huge one, and games like Warframe. Uh, so now you'll be able to actually play these without having an Xbox Network subscription, uh, which is pretty good. And finally, the next Ace Attorney game. Uh, is The Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. It's the first full game in English released since 2016, and it has a release date of July 27th, 2021. Uh, you will shift between Meiji Japan and Victorian England uh, as Phoenix's ancestor, Ryonosuke Naruhodo, which is uh, pretty wild. Uh, there is also a character in it... <laughs> named Herlock Sholmes, which is a completely original character. (laughs) The series is fun. Hey folks, that's going to do it for this week's episode of thanks for the knowledge. I want to give my appreciation to Ren price for stopping by. You can go find her online over at Ren or Raven over on, uh, on the Twitter machine. Uh, you can find me at floppy adult. You can find our wonderful producer, Paul Mm -hmm. at Polly Mayo. um, This week, you should listen to uh, the Dirty Dancing episode if You Love to See It. It's very good. If you want to listen to all of our podcasts, you can do so over at podcastnet.work or fanbite.com slash podcasts if you are um, boring, I guess. (laughs) Until next week, you're welcome.